Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Hello, and welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Before we get started with today's program, this heads-up alert. Our wonderful half-price offer for Dr. Terry Orbuck's amazing online video, Finding Love in Seven Days, is scheduled to expire soon. And if you're a frequent listener to my show, you'll probably recognize the name Dr. Terry Orbuck right away. As you may recall, she's also known as the Love Doctor, and her video is based on Dr. Terry's 30-plus years of research on the science of love involving a whole bunch of couples in various stages of their relationship. And for a short term only, you can receive 50% off the normal retail price. And to order, you simply click on the Love Doctor banner on our program webpage and don't miss out because the offer will expire soon. Well, spring is a season of love, but do you feel like you're missing out? At middle age, are you unattached and longing for a long-term partnership? and uh, with that one special person. Well, uh, perhaps you're already back in the dating game or seriously contemplating jumping back in. You're on the rebound following divorce, separation, or death of your spouse or significant other. Or maybe you've been dating for several years, perhaps never married, but you can't seem to find Mr. or Ms. Wright. If you've been at it for long, I'm certain you know that dating can be very frustrating at any age, but especially at middle age. And uh, if so, let me ask you this question. When searching for your perfect mate, do you often rule out potential romantic partners before you even meet them? Especially frustrating are all those get acquainted dates with professional partners who just don't measure up. (laughs) What are some of your uh, dating deal breakers? Are you guys the garish color of her nail polish, the way she wears her hair, her visible tattoos, the sound of her voice, or the way she laughs? And how about you gals, the limp way he shook your hand, his bald spot or pot belly, or his awful taste in clothing? The truth is most of us mentally screen out potential long-term romantic partners by jumping to snap conclusions based in on uh, preconceived standards. And uh, we uh, dating partners, if they don't meet those standards, they're out before you even give the relationship a chance. And my guest today, psychiatrist Christine Adams, M.D., contends that snap judgments, in fact, uh, less than amazing first date even, in most cases, should not be enough to rule someone out. And she's here to explain why. And more importantly, she's here to suggest factors you definitely should consider before entering any serious long-term romantic relationship, including, of course, marriage. And Christine Adams, M.D., is a child and adult psychiatrist practicing for 40 years in Louisville, Kentucky. She's helped thousands of people understand their relationship problems or failures. And throughout her career, Dr. Adams has worked in many places, private practice, academia, uh, 
uh, community mental health and consulting to federal government agencies. She's published widely in psychiatry journals and in books and teaches university classes for older folks like us, uh, beyond the normal college age, I mean, on personalities and relationships. And she's co-author with Homer B. Martin, M.D., of the upcoming book, Living on Automatic, How Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships. And welcome, Dr. Adams. We're honored to have you with us here today. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. Well, let's begin with the negative. In your promotional material, you urge single folks to uh, run away fast when they experience instant sexual attraction for someone. Does that mean that we can only date unattractive folks? And what is instant (laughs) sexual attraction, and how do we avoid uh, that trap? (laughs) Yeah, uh, well, this is a very good question. A lot of my patients ask me this, and we explore this together. it usually says hazard ahead. When you do not know somebody and you respond uh, with a sexual attraction or a sexual yeah. urge toward them, uh, you're doing so out of something that is in your head, in your mind, <laughs> yeah. because you don't know them yet. That's so it all point. is coming from you. So I think a better strategy is to say, hmm, I feel attracted to that person, but let me find out what they're like as a human being and see if they're really an attractive person once I get to know them rather than operating on something that's in my head that I'm projecting onto them. Because when you do not know a person, uh, this is what you do. Yes. You project so we don't necessarily them. have to run away just because a girl, in my case, a gal is real good looking, but uh, but we should uh, obviously get to know that person before we... Yeah, just get to know her better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah you know, I was thinking back when I saw that and um, the five or six women I had serious relationships with, including, of course, my wife, Gloria, and uh, none of them were physically unattractive, but in every case when I think about it, it was the woman as a person that I remember, uh, her intelligence, her personality, and how well we clicked together. It really wasn't sexuality that uh, made them seriously attractive to me. Uh, you know, so so I think that uh, that is true of, of true lasting relationship. There has to be a lot more than uh, <laughs> just <laughs> sexual They say attraction. the biggest... Uh, sexual attraction part of the body is the brain in your head (laughs) well how about the opposite how would you counsel unattached singles uh, who told you that they had met a wonderful guy or gal with whom they have a great time socializing shared interests great conversations fun to be with but for whatever reason they can't see themselves ever getting physically intimate Uh, I know that my wife knows a woman who uh, is living with a fellow who says she just can't get turned on. I mean, is that destined to failure then if you, if you don't have that physical no, attraction? No, uh, it's not. It's usually uh, something over time as you get to know the person. Uh, and also is, it depends on what type of person you are. Yeah. Uh, I, I've discovered that many people who get who are divorced or who are widowed and who are back in the dating uh, game yeah. um, really uh, are more cautious 
And yeah. so they use the least little thing that they think is going wrong <laughs> as an excuse to back yeah. out of the relationship. Yeah, I can see your point. They don't want to be burned the second time around. so they Yeah, but <laughs> I urge them to be. stick with it. And I also urge some people, some people are very um, reluctant to get into a relationship where they're enjoying the relationship. So some people have a problem <laughs> with um, liking to be in abusive relationships or in relationships that really don't do much for them but do a lot for the other person. Boy, that's and when sad, a relationship yeah, they... comes along where they are enjoying it, they get scared and yeah. they back off. Isn't so you have that... to sort of diagnose what is going on in this situation. Yeah, that that's really something that you're uh, almost you want to be the perpetual victim uh, subconsciously, I guess, and something like that. But the... uh-huh. Yeah, it's a it's a switch for some people if after years of living in a relationship in a certain way, and then that yeah. relationship ends, and it makes people some people uncomfortable who aren't hmm. used to getting much out of their life to be with a person who's kind and thoughtful and that they enjoy being around. I guess um, somehow they feel like if you're going to enjoy yourself too much, it's obviously going to end badly or something. But uh, uh-huh. But you know, uh, sexual attraction is uh, when you consider there's 24 hours in a day, seven days in a week, and so on. Yeah. Uh, sex is only a small part of a relationship. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you really want uh, most of the other pieces in place. Yeah. And then usually sexual attraction will will come along. Yeah. Well, what are some of the most common deal breakers that you've found that folks use to rule out dates? <laughs> you know, these well, snap judgment there, type deals. <laughs> yeah, there there are some good deal breakers. You know, like yeah. if a person is rude to you or oh, yeah, physically yeah. abusive or emotionally abusive or yeah. if you're that type of person to somebody else, then you know, nobody's going to date you, and they shouldn't be dating you. Yeah. But then there are a lot of superficial things that people set up as sort of like an obstacle course that they're going to run <laughs> and believe that uh, if I exclude all these certain little things about people that don't really tell you what people are like, just superficialities, yeah. then I'll get to the right person. Yeah. And these these are things like how does a person look, their height, their weight, their yeah. skin color, yeah. uh, their eye, hair color, their jewelry, their tattoos, their body yeah. piercings, nail polish, uh, the quality of their voice, whether they stutter, whether they have a regional accent or an accent from another country, their way of talking, the grammar they use, the yeah. slang they use. And then also things like where they're from, what country, what part of the country, uh, who they're related to, their family yeah. background, uh, occupation, religion, their economic level, educational level, and their politics. And these are all things, if you go to a major dating site or dating organization, these are all the things that dating sites use that I think is a terrific disservice to people. Yeah. Because... It focuses you on excluding people not by the quality of the human being, but yeah. by these little superficial characteristics that you can largely see or hear. 
about a person that don't get to the interior of the person. You know the you know the saying, "Don't judge a book by its cover." Yeah. Well, you shouldn't judge a person by their cover either. You really need to get inside of them, find out what they're like and how they think and how they feel about the world and how they treat you and how they interact with you. Yeah. Um, well, let's say you've met someone and you feel that you, you didn't hit, throw off one of those instant deal breakers, but you feel like there's a good chance for a serious long-term romance. What are some of the best questions to ask this potential mate on the first or second date? And on the other hand, what are some of the questions you should never ask right up Well, I don't, I don't really categorize them. I think people make a lot of snap judgments after, like, one date, and they say, yeah. well, I'm not going to see that person again. And I think yeah. maybe you should spend at least two or three times seeing the person oh, because on a first date, Typically, after divorce or widowhood, people are anxious. People yeah, you're are always anxious when you meet somebody new. Yeah, so, time. you know, take it slow and easy. Do things with them. Chat with them. But eventually get around to how you figure out what a person is like is you mm. ask some questions. Because when you ask a person a question, you make them think. Yeah. And when they show you how they think, they tell you what kind of a person they are. So anything that gets at what matters to them, what their yeah. values are, how he or she sees the world, um, things like, well, what do you think about your job? Um, yeah. How do things go with the family you grew up in? Um, yeah. How were you raised? Um how do you feel your life is going? Yeah. Um, and then opinion questions, too. Uh, wh what's your opinion on the latest book you've read? What, what kind of books do you like to read? How about movies, TV shows, yeah. radio shows? Yeah, um, and those seem like innocuous enough questions that uh, you, w you wouldn't offend the, the person. But on the other hand, you get to know... Uh, you know, if they're a situation comedy folks. Or yeah, you get a treasure trove of information when you ask about the experiences that a person's had in life and yeah. the conclusions or opinions they have about the world as a result of that. And you, the other thing you do is you don't pay attention to who a person says he or she is. You pay attention to who... He or she shows they oh, are. That's such a good point. Because some people say, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm the famous Romeo, and you know, <laughs> I I have great dates and all this, and maybe a bunch of malarkey." So you have to really see, do they prove it to me? If they say that, that's probably just the opposite of the truth. <laughs> it may be, but you, you don't know until you until yeah. you go down the road a little further. Well, how Another much did you I've, reveal about yourself, in particular, if you're a recent divorcee? Uh, what, how much detail should you reveal about your breakup? And can, is it okay to expound upon your uh, ex's faults? <laughs> no, I think that's sort of a, a quagmire. Uh, <laughs> You know, if you're if you're bringing a prior relationship to a new relationship, that's going to bog down the situation and yeah. it's going to make a lot of people run away. You're starting fresh. You're starting new. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's going to be quite a while 
and until you're really settled on dating just one person that you're serious about, yeah. and then see what sort of questions they ask you. Yeah, I think it's uh, fascinating how you say uh, you tell us to pay attention to the questions that your date is or isn't asking you. And uh, why is it imperative to pay attention to what your date does not ask you and what what should they be asking you, I guess? Well, uh, I I think um, I always say to my patients, um, pay attention to the elephant in the room that nobody's talking about. In other yeah. words, does this person just run a monologue by you and oh, ask yeah. nothing about you? Oh, yeah. Does he or she <laughs> seem curious about you, who you are, what you think, experiences you've had, how you yeah. deal with other people in your world? Because if if there's an omission, if something is yeah. missing that should be in a normal conversation of give yeah. and take, yeah. then you have to say, hmm, I wonder why this red flag keeps going up. I yeah. wonder why I'm not being asked about me or other omissions. Um, and that's just very important, not only what's being said, but what's not being covered yeah. or what's not being said. <laughs> I like the old country song where the... Uh Occasionally, I like to talk about me. <laughs> you, know, you don't want to go out with a, a person that, mon- uh, you know, on and on and on goes about their lives and uh, what interests them. And the way I suggest to... handling that is if a person's going on and on and on and on, you bring up something about you. Yeah. And then you see how they handle it. Do they immediately change the subject back to them? Yeah. Or do they get engaged in you? Are they interested for you to go further with what you're talking about? Well, at middle age, when emotions are involved, why do so many highly intelligent, educated folks make totally irrational decisions? And what's the best way to keep our emotions under control the next time we date someone new? (laughs) Wow, that's a really good question. Well, as in my upcoming book, we discovered that Uh, Since we're all emotionally conditioned as young children by age two or three, uh, we all develop emotional patterns, sort of knee-jerk reactions in forming relationships that our parents taught us and that their parents in turn taught them and so on and so forth. And that problems come about in relationships when you get and have emotional knee-jerk reactions. So the best thing to do is to say, okay, I'm feeling this way. Let me pull back. Let me not make any commitments here. Let me just pull back and say, you know, I need a timeout. Let me think about what you said, and and let me think about what I said, and then I'll get back to you. And when you introduce thinking into the equation, you do away with the emotional part. So thinking can override the emotional knee-jerk reaction. But in order to think, you have to stop a minute and prevent the emotional knee-jerk reaction. And And it helps so much if you can go back and identify in your past why you think the way you do, if you can... Take that back, even to childhood, if you can realize why you're thinking, you know, have consciousness of what 
what's prompting your thoughts. I think you're so much further along in, in terms of controlling the emotions and uh, getting in. Yeah, well, and not just your thoughts, but if you can think back to childhood and think, now how did I learn that emotion? Yeah. How did that get connected with certain types of relationships that I had growing up? Yeah. And then you can unravel it, and that will help you. And if you can't do it on your own, which many people can't, then to get um, a good therapist to help you unravel those things is very beneficial. Well, let's turn very briefly to those of us in established marriages who still love and fully respect our spouses. But as you put it, we've been living on automatic. And as we grow older, more and more preoccupied with career, parenting, community, social obligations, do you have any suggestions you can offer for restoring romance and intimacy to uh, an established marriage that's kind of grown, uh, you know, old hat? Oh, wow. Well, that's a that's a big question. Um, I think one of the things that's always a good idea is to sit down with your spouse or your significant other and say, "Look, I feel we're sort of in a stalemate, or we're yeah. we're not going anywhere. We don't have any." Uh, vivaciousness in the relationship. But what not in a think? threatening manner, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> just say, you know, I, I've kind of felt this and I wanted to check it out with you. What do you yeah. feel? And how do you see the situation? Yeah. And have a conversation and then try and pinpoint, well, is it is it just me or is it both of us or is it just you? And what could we do to rectify it that would yeah. make each of us feel better? or yeah. one of us feel better, to sort of renew the spark. Yeah. Um, but always, I think, to have a non-threatening discussion with your always. mate and raise the question. You, you do better when you ask open-ended questions. What do you think about, rather yeah. than saying, do you think X or Y? Yeah, no, that's yes so, no. so true. Well, let's talk a bit about your forthcoming book, Living on Automatic, How Emotional Conditioning Shapes Our Lives and Relationships. You kind of touched on it, but uh, as you and your co-author, Dr. Homer Martin, define it, what is emotional conditioning and how can you and I positively employ our understanding of it to strengthen our marriages, create helpful relationships, make new relationships, obviously, and avoid emotional illnesses? What is that? I guess you touched on that what the yeah, emotional, conditioning. Uh, emotional conditioning is uh, the way that your parents shape you emotionally in the first two years of life that teaches you how to conduct your relationships for yeah. the rest of your life so wow. it's very powerful and it occurs very early and it's very much like what you do with your puppy dog when you <laughs> get your dog to do certain things and then you yeah. give him a biscuit as a reward, it's the same type of instruction that your parents have given you. And unfortunately, what we discovered is that everybody is emotionally conditioned and that there's really no such thing as normal (laughs) and that, that there's a continuum from mild emotional conditioning to severe emotional conditioning. And that people tend to marry opposites in terms of personality. A very quiet, reserved person Hmm. will marry somebody who's extraordinarily outgoing and 
and uh, irresponsible, and they people like to marry opposites. The problem is when you marry an opposite, it becomes the bitter pill that also breaks up the relationship. Because if a person's used to operating the opposite from you, they are not malleable enough to operate more like you. So when in the relationship, you really need each person to be well-balanced and to be able to, say, if one spouse gets sick and can't, uh, run the household, yeah. then the other person has to pitch in to run the household. But if the other person says, I don't run households, that's <laughs> not my job, that's never been my job. Sounds like the then man. <laughs> you, then you can't have a a relationship. Well, I've yeah. seen men and women. This is Emotional conditioning does not follow gender lines, sex lines, race lines, educational mm-hmm. lines. It happens to all of us, and it's just totally independent of all those things. Well, when do you anticipate that your book will be available for purchase, and how best can we keep informed uh, regarding the publication so that we know when it comes out? Well, uh, you can be informed by going to my website, which is www.doctor, spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R, Christine Adams, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-A-D-A-M-S dot com. And there's a page, a book page on my website, and you can sign up there and get on my email list. And when the book is available, you will be notified, and that way you can make a decision if you want to get it. I don't know. I don't have a date right now. No, we just uh, because I know when it comes out, it's definitely a book uh, worth reading and uh, previewing and uh, looking at. And in conclusion, I'm I'm certain that Dr. Christine Adams would agree you must fully love and respect yourself as a person and uh, understand yourself and have a strong moral compass before you begin seeking a romantic partner. But having said that, it makes no sense to eliminate those we meet based upon surface deal breakers like those that uh, she described before that really are not important uh, in ruling out potential life partners. And if you do that, you'll be missing out on some wonderful relationships, and perhaps uh, you'll never meet uh, who would have been or could have been your next spouse. <laughs> so uh, I highly recommend that you keep your eye out for Dr. Adams' book, Living on Automatic, and in the meantime that you ask yourself, what are those deal breakers, and are they really important uh, to what this person would bring to my life if uh, I got to know them better and in each case to make those kind of uh, wise decisions. And and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Adams, for joining us today. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And best of success on your book and let us know when it uh, comes out. All right. Will do. Thank, thank you, you very much. Well, this Father's Day, or perhaps later on this summer, do you have plans for an extended visit with your father? Uh Let me warn you, uh, perhaps you'll experience what I did with my dad a few years back. My father was a highly intelligent man, a former life insurance company executive, who also built a sizable common stock portfolio through personal investing and savings. But when he was in his late 80s, he started forgetting things and often would keep asking the same questions over and over again. 
And so like me back then, you feel like something needs to be done, but what? And here to help us answer that question is Senior Health Advisor and Dementia Prevention Specialist, Janet Rich Pittman. And you may remember Janet Pittman was a guest on our February 27th program, and you can go back and listen to that interview at any time because all our prior shows are archived. And she's author of the brand-new five-volume e-booklet series titled It's There, Five Ways to Find Your Memory and Keep It. And this e-booklet series may be of great benefit to you and me as well as to our parents, and more about it later. But first, to refresh your memory, Janet Rich Pittman is a dementia prevention specialist known far and wide as the brain nerd, and her worthy mission is to help you and me and our aging parents to understand how to keep our memories, age gracefully, and maintain good brain health. She's co-founder and co-facilitator of the Alzheimer's Dementia Support Group of South Alabama, and she's an in-demand speaker nationally on all aspects of successful aging. And hello, Janet, and welcome back to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Hello, Roy. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, let's begin with our aging parents. What do you say to dad, or for that matter to mom, if that's the case, if uh, he or she begin to show clear signs that their memory is starting to slip away? What should you say? <laughs> well, Roy, I'm going to maybe put everybody on the on the sideline here, because I don't think you should say anything. Oh. <laughs> and, I'm, yeah, I'm sure everybody's eyes are rolling, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I, um... I really, I mean, you really want to do something, but the point is you really can't. I mean, it has to be their decision. So at first, of course you want to take in in the effect that their memory is slipping and that they're answering, asking the same questions over and over again. Yeah. But at the same time, no one likes to be scolded or reprimanded or pointed out their weaknesses, do they? No, especially... Especially when it feels like someone else is picking on them. Maybe they're worried deep down about it, and they certainly don't want someone telling them <laughs> that. And, uh, that's ex- that's exactly right. Manner. Especially your children, right? I mean, yeah. you have the domain over your children. You, your children don't have the domain over you, right? So, of course, yeah, you don't want somebody telling you what to do, especially your kids. Well, you tell us one thing we can do is ask Dad a pivotal pivotal question. I have trouble saying that word for some reason. One designed to test his memory retention. Could you give us a couple of samples of, like, pivotal questions we might ask, something that might uh, tell us how well he remembers things? Yeah, you... You want to make sure, though, he it's his acknowledgement to get him to acknowledge that his memory is slipping. So yeah. you would you would want to ask him a pivotal question like, Dad, do you, do you, do you remember, you know, our my son Ryan, which would be his grandson. You know, he hit that grand slam home run the other day, and you were in the stands <laughs> with me. Didn't did, don't you remember that? You know, get him to acknowledge that he is forgetting. And once he acknowledges that, then you can say, you know, Dad, I'm here to help you. We can beat this. You know. Um, your brain is not in the best shape. It's, it's weakening a little bit, but together I can help you. So it's got to be his idea, right? Yeah, that's for sure. Well, let's say that your dad or mom have always been self-deficient, is very proud, and may be very resentful of giving away control of any aspect of his life. 
He's very evasive and won't truly answer your questions. What are the two main questions you could ask to prod for answers? I like these the way you uh, laid them out. <laughs> oh, good. Thank you. You know, Roy, this happened to me last year with my father, and oh. uh, he was on he was on some heavy medications, and he was. We, we, they have a house on Mobile Bay, and we were all there. It was the Fourth of July, and and. We were we had all caught a bunch of crabs. He he went up though to take a nap, and we all had a big crab boil. So it's about two o'clock in the afternoon, and we're oh. hammering and hollering, and of course, you know, with 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 crab and outdoors, it's hot. You know, people are drinking a beer or two, and so their their voices are a bit loud. You know, and so you can just hear the clanking going on, and everybody's happy and hollering and, and being fun on the picnic table down under the house. And he comes down and just says, what the heck is going on here? Why can't you be quiet? You know I'm taking a nap. And he storms off onto the pier, and everybody's just completely silent. And then we get out on the pier, and, and Roy, I, I follow him, and I'm like, Dad, Dad, come on, what's up? You know, we're trying to calm him down. And, and he reaches back, and he pulls his hand back as if he's going to hit me to tell me to hmm. shut up. And I thought, yeah. oh, my gosh, you, you know, this is a problem. And yeah. so he, I back away. He gets in the boat. He, he storms off in the boat. But a couple of days later, you know, I come to him, and I ask him the pivotal questions like, Dad, do you remember? Do you, do you know what you just did or yeah. what you did a couple of days ago? And he acknowledged it. And I said, Dad, I'm not upset. I, I think it's your medicine. I'd like the opportunity to talk to your doctor and let's talk about your medicine. I said, but, Dad, you've got to get a handle on this. You've got to get a handle on your emotions. Don't you want to yeah. be around for your grandchildren's graduation from high school? Don't you yeah. want to be around when they graduate from college? Don't you want to be around when they have the opportunity to get married and walk your granddaughter maybe down the aisle? Yeah, so give those them are the an pivotal incentive to, uh, to work on that or give them an incentive to get treatment or whatever they need. Uh, that, that's a great exactly. way to do it, I think. Well, now for the $64,000 question. After your father takes ownership of his increasingly frequent memory lapses or states of confusion, are there steps he can take to lessen recurrence and to get his brain healthy? And can you briefly describe a few ways to guide and assist your father to improve brain health? Is there anything we can do at that point once he's willing to yeah, there there are basically four concepts that we need to help Dad get a handle on, and that is oh, his nutrition. Because yeah. when you reach into the 80s and 90s, nutrition is so crucial and it's so important. Um, yeah. So we need to make sure we, we're not eating any processed foods and make sure we're eating good, healthy fruits and vegetables, a lot of healthy fruits and vegetables. Huh. Stay away from the white foods, the five yeah. hard white foods, the white flour, the white corn, the white potatoes, the white rice. And so we want to stay away from, oh, yeah, well, (laughs) that's right. you got to get your brain right, though, Roy. You know, you got to make sure, you know, you're eating for the right thing. So poor nutrition is number one. And then... And then exercising, two types of exercising. You've got to do your your, your basic physical exercise. You need to walk yeah. six, seven days a week. You need to walk 30 minutes a day every day or, or some sort of aerobic exercise. And then, then brain exercises. You've got to accomplish something new in your mind. You've got to be in a position to – you've got to be in a position to, to learn something new, to have an accomplishment yeah. with your brain. Yeah, so you've got to exercise important. your brain. And and it's very important to create something new in your mind and, and yeah. follow something new in your mind. So then those two those two things. And then the, then 
the fourth item would be you, you need to get your sleep and you need to care about your community and your and your community being your family, your friends, and, and sort of called the four C's to successful aging. You've got to care, connect, commit, concentrate. And that those C's are plural, and I put in the plural there for sleep. Got to make sure you get some good sleep. But the, the key point, though, is to make sure your dad understands his brain is, is in, not in the best of health. He's got to get his brain very healthy. And the, the way to do that is, is to the nutrition and the brain exercising yeah. and, and, and also the physical exercising. But the point is he's got to have the acknowledgement and that he is going to have to take over and take control of his brain health. And he's got to have the incentive to do so, something to uh, to live for, like that commitment or the... Uh, right, the force of care, connection, you know, Walking right. the kid down the aisle or whatever it might be. But, uh, right. Well, as we pass right. through our middle age, especially in our 50s, a lot of our fathers, if they're still around, are in their mid to late 80s, even 90s. And if we realize right. that our father's memory is slipping, isn't it simply just a natural sign of aging? Can we really expect to restore healthy brain function to a, a person of a highly advanced age? And is it really worth the effort? <laughs> you, it's so funny, Roy. Today, as a matter of fact, my next-door neighbor, Martha, sent me an email with that same question. And she says, okay, his memory is slipping. And I've got him on supplements. I've got him on a vit- multivitamin and some some curcumin and vitamin D and magnesium. Yeah. I've hired I've hired help for him, and and they're I'm doing all the grocery shopping. So they're, they're he's eating clean. He's eating good. She's helping him with his errands. Um, what what do I do? Is there a pill? Yeah. And, and and you know, can you re- can you refer me to a a dementia doctor? And yeah. I said I, I'm I'm I invited her over. For um, we used to get together, right, for a glass of wine, but now we're yeah. so health conscious, we get together for a glass of green tea. But <laughs> no anyway, fun. I said, Martha, come, come on, come on. This is too, too much for an email, so come on over and we'll have a glass of tea. Yeah. And um, I'm going to tell her that that she needs to get her father in on um, an exercise program because when you get yeah. to your late 80s and into your 90s, even in, maybe into your early 80s. Yeah. Old age dementia sets in, and if you don't do something to the old age dementia, it turns into Alzheimer's. Now, let me tell you real quick, old age dementia is just when your cellular brain cells that support your neurons shrivel up, and they're shrivel yeah. up, and, and they're not getting the they're not getting the nutrients into your brain to help your train of thought continue. Yeah. So what what you need to do is exercise. That's the way to, to beef up those nutrients and shoot them up into your into your brain. Now I'm not saying we need to go and run a marathon, Roy, but but you know you gotta you've gotta walk every day. You've gotta yeah. get the you gotta get the, the body choir walking. There, because I do that. I love to walk, and I, I know my father walked a lot when he was elderly. But uh, well, let's talk a bit about your brand new five volume e-booklet series. It's there. The subtitle is Five Ways to Find Your Memory and Keep It. Can you briefly describe maybe a couple of those five ways so uh, we can keep our memory sharp? but also help our aging parents to stay sharp and involved. I, I certainly will. And I've really pretty much already given them to you, Roy, you know, the oh. brain exercising, the physical exercising, the nutrition, yeah. and the four C's. Yeah. And, and so what's kind of nice, though, about the book, and what I think hopefully you would enjoy about that, is the fact that you know, it's not just another nonfiction book. It's not just oh. another how-to book. It's a it's it's nonfiction inside a little fiction book. Yeah, I and like the about, way you describe okay. that. How how does it, what does that mean exactly? Nonfiction in a fiction. Well, book. yeah. Well, it 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 talks about 
um, this woman, she's in her late 50s, and she's, oh. she's going through, you know, the, the juggles of a career and being a wife and a mother, and then her mom has, has Alzheimer's. And so she, she meets up with a friend, and, and she goes to the friend, and, and the friend is also a dementia administrator. And, oh, and so she, she asks the she she asked the administrator, help me. You know, what do I do with oh, my yeah. mom? Just exactly what we're talking about today, on today's show, right? Yeah. And just I exactly what Mark just... You put those uh, that advice into a story. That makes it so much more memorable, I think, when you do that. Right. <laughs> just like, it's it just actually exactly what Martha, my next member, asking me. So, yeah. so, so the, the character in the story is saying those exact asking those exact questions. So when you go through each booklet, they can be they can be separate or um they all run together and oh. it just goes through and shows you all the different ways. And gives you examples. Yeah. So where is the best place to uh, preview and purchase your ebook series? Do you have a website address they can go to or where where should they go for that? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, it's it's just a PDF format, and it's all formatted. It's really nice. It's in large print. And oh. you can go to my website, www.thebrainnerd.com, and it's on the front page right there, and it'll show you oh. how, to, how, to, how, to, how to get it. Oh, that's great. Uh, if there was one crucial message you'd like readers to take away from your e-booklet series, what would it be? Exercise. Yeah. Don't give in Exercise. to the I would <laughs> Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Well, as Father's Day approaches, or perhaps an extended summer vacation, along with your elderly uh, father and maybe mother too, I highly encourage you to remain at all times vigilant, as both our parents and us age over the years. Of course, both they and us will change, and with early detection, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia, do not have to rob dad, mom, or ourselves of a quality life and a healthy, well-functioning brain. And today's guest, Janet Rich Pittman, sent me a great little laminated bookmark, and I'd like to conclude this program with the words written on it. And she says, dementia, especially Alzheimer's, or specifically Alzheimer's, is not a part of normal aging, and no dad is not 100% certain to suffer from it as he grows old, and Alzheimer's is a disease and should be treated as one, and Alzheimer's begins to formulate in your brain 10 to 15 years before the symptoms ever uh, manifest themselves, and perhaps most important, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia can be prevented, and if caught in the early stages, memory slippage can be reversed. And before you spend long, sleepless nights worried about your dad's forgetfulness, or maybe your own, go to Janet Pitt, uh, Rich Pittman's website, thebrainnerd.com, and preview her brand new It's There e-booklet series, and you'll be amazed at the steps you can take and encourage mom and dad to take to avoid the ravages of dementia in your old age. And to get started, go to Janet's thebrainnerd.com website today. And God knows none of us want to spend our final days, months, even years, lying in a bed in a nursing home, not even, even remembering who we are, and we don't want our parents to have this sad fate either. And thank you so much, Janet Pittman, for joining us today and for fighting so valiantly against dementia. Oh, Roy, thank you so much for having me on your show. And best of success in your sale and distribution of It's There, your brand new e-booklet series. And now let's all go out and enjoy the heck out of summer, and uh, let's all defeat dementia. That's it for today on Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. 
You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal training system by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 